0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called the Aussie dollar, where to now? Today the team will discuss the global macroeconomic factors from around the world that affect Australia and the Aussie dollar. Then we'll give you our view on where the Aussie dollar is likely heading from here. So join us today to find out. Just a reminder, the information in this podcast is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, please go to our website at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact, and you can book a call with me to have a no obligation chat. Today, as always, we have Damien Klassen, Nucleus Wealth's co-founder and chief investment officer. Damo, welcome. Hey, Sam. I'd also like to welcome David Llewellyn-Smith, Nucleus Wealth's Chief Strategist. Dave, welcome.
1: Good day. Hey.
0: How are you? Very well, very well. Great to have you back. Yeah. My name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. We are live every Thursday at 12.30 Australian Eastern Time. So jump on the Nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask any questions that come to mind and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. You can also follow us on your preferred podcast platform as our show is available on All the Majors. So that's all the housekeeping out of the way. So, Dave, over to you to get the ball rolling.
1: Thanks, Sam. So uh, we thought we'd revisit the Uzi dollar today. Haven't looked at it for a while, and there's been some you know, reasonable volatility of late uh, that may suggest uh, more to come. Um, I've titled this presentation with the, you know, dramatic prediction that the Australian dollar will go to 40 cents. And I'm going to explain to you why I think that's the case. Uh, Not imminently, but uh, sometime over the next cycle. Um, So we're going to run through the forces currently acting on the AD and what we think uh, will come to bear next business cycle as well. So we'll have a look at monetary policy here uh, and in the US, first of all, to look at um, yield spreads, that is, you know, the differences between interest rates that can, uh, you know, bid up or pressure a currency. we are going to look at China uh, and, you know, why we think that uh, it's got a structural bust going, um, basically a permanent growth adjustment lower. Um, and how that's going to play out for Australian commodities uh, where we are in this business cycle how that'll affect the AUD and then you know we'll wrap up with a look at, at the next business cycle what we think will be the the pillars of growth in that one uh, how Australia fits uh, and how that will affect forex especially the AUD um, so without further ado um, the Fed is still hiking and the RBA is all but done. Now that that title is, you know, implicitly uh, AUD bearish and I do think that interest rate spreads are likely to pressure the currency from here. Um the principal reason for that, uh the Fed is still hiking rates. Um I think that there's at least two hikes to come there, and it's possible there'll be more. Uh, the, the principal reason I think that the US economy has held on so well this year, after looking very shaky at the end of last year, is the AI bubble in the stock market, which I think is supporting wealth and consumption in the US, uh, and therefore you know, delaying the fall in inflation, especially core inflation uh which is being held up by uh you know a labor gap um post-covid in the us so to unpack that a little um the ai bubble is is you know sort of the art of artificial intelligence uh, bid that's come into the u.s stock market over the last couple of months and driven you know um, associated technology stock prices to the moon um, uh with you know really high valuations and and sort of fabulous forecasts for earnings uh now i i don't we actually don't think it'll be that good for the tech side of of things in the long run Uh, but for the time being you know there's been a few you know profit results Nvidia in particular that have supported that narrative and so it's gone a little bit Bonkers, and in the short term, you do get, I think, wealth effects that support consumption. Uh, there's a very strong correlation between retail uh, and the stock market in the US, uh, and so I think that's playing a role. Um, the um, the labour gap that I've referred to here for the US, which is, I think, you know, kind of the key pillar of sticky inflation, is that amazingly, the US lost five million workers during COVID um, for various reasons. Uh, which is more or less permanent. It's kind of trickling back in a little, but um, a lot of it was reti- retirement, early retirement, etc. People, you know, obviously were less inclined to, to go out in public in the US, given it had no kind of public protections against the virus, no lockdowns, et cetera. And now all that, as well as, you know, no immigration uh, and all that culminated in very large labour gap it will close as the borders open and things but um, and it, it's still structural which means you know wage inflation is in the US got much higher than in Australia and is still much higher and it's more sticky as well so those two factors i think has the fed kind of still still chasing this sticky core inflation i've got a chart up there for you which shows uh, the critical measure which is core PCE um, personal consumption expenditure, inflation is the core chart for the Fed, and it's still running at around 4.5% annualised, slowly coming down, but only very slowly. And they've got to get that to 2%.
0: So um, that's going to take um, more effort. Um, and Dave, can you just explain for the viewers uh, the differences between core, uh, core inflation and uh, the other ones on the chart there?
1: Uh, sure. Well, core core tends to be the, the, the less volatile components of inflation. Um, things like housing uh, and things. Whereas, uh, you know, wider inflation includes things like energy, which can fluctuate wildly. Uh, and, and so they're, they're kind of peeled off to give us an idea of what core inflation is um, as a sort of stable base for inflation. Um, the other lines on there, you've got core, core uh, just straight PCE, which is more headline inflation. And so that includes things like energy, which is why it's lower than core at the moment, because energy prices all collapsed from the big Ukraine war shock. And so they've, they've actually driven down headline inflation. That's the CPI number that's reported. But the Fed is more concerned about the composition of it and the stuff that is sticky. Um so that, that's the main difference in those lines um so conversely in australia i think the rba is is all but done i think uh, it may well be done there's lots of evidence for me in in sort of leading labor market indicators that we've got um, a labor market that is rolling over um we have much stronger um, immigration relative to the size of the labor market, so we've got a supply shock going. The economy is clearly slowing in, uh, you know, across the board, but p- particularly in consumption areas. Uh, and so, labor demand is going to come off. And we were ne- we never had the labor market damage that the U.S. did. No, no loss of workers, no permanent harm. Uh, The main issue here was the swing in migration, which, you know, went out and then has come back in twice as strong. Uh, And so, uh, you know, we never got the wage inflation that the U.S. had. In fact, we barely got to acceptable wage inflation here and now it's falling away. And so that sticky inflation problem here is not it's not as bad. Um, And the, you know, the inflationary impacts we're dealing with here uh, are. You know things like housing and uh, and energy that are actually immigration related so you know they can be either looked through or fixed uh, or the rba can't address them um not that they're not you know still going to concern the central bank but i think the, the the net result is that the rba is almost done and we still have lots of embedded tightening to come here and this is the chart i've provided on australia which is you know, the fixed rate reset that we've talked about for some time for mortgages. Um still is is like absolutely at its peak now. It still has three strong quarters of resetting to go. <clears throat> so that's a lot of tightening still to come for households. Uh as well we're still only like two thirds of the way through passing on rate hikes that we've had so far to mortgages. So lots of of tightening still to come to hit households and slow consumption even more. And so I think the RBA... And, and so
2: what, what you're saying there, though, Dave, is that the, the tightening still to come is the one, that, the stuff that's already been done, just hasn't blown through yet.
1: Yes, quite right. Yes. Yeah, but- yeah, So so uh, lots of tightening still, still to hit and, and the economy in Australia is basically stalled now and so there's every reason to think that it's, you know, pretty much cooked. Um, so, I, I, you know, if the RBA goes again, uh, I'd be surprised. I think the base case is that, that it's probably done. So that gives you, you know, a, a, an interest rate spread circumstance where, you know, the US is likely still tightening and, and the RBA isn't, uh, which is obviously, you know, more bullish for the US dollar versus the Australian dollar. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So So that's uh our first point and and you know how important are interest rate spreads to a currency hard to know in terms of proportion of various factors but certainly important Um, and and comprise probably one half of the major two inputs now the second major input um is is probably the terms of trade and that is you know the relative price of our commodities versus our imports Um, and this is where we come to uh, our second discussion which is uh you know the the um the health of the chinese economy what's happening there and what it's going to do to our key exports to china and so as as mentioned in the intro we think that the china bust is is actually just a structural wind down of its catch up growth period. Uh, you know, in, in any developed uh, developing economy, you typically get a very fast growth period of a decade or two when it has lots of young people demographic tailwinds.
2: <clears throat>
1: it's got lots of cheap labour that allows it to create export industries, lots of lots of infrastructure deficits that you know need rectification and and investing into, uh, and in China's case, you know a lot of big housing shortages as well um, as it as it shifted a, a very rural population into the cities. And so that twenty year process, <clears throat> you know, really was the China super cycle for commodities has has pretty much exhausted itself. China has built enough of everything uh not that it can't build more in fact it is building more um, to keep keep things sort of ticking over but the point is it's built anything that's sort of even remotely uh productive or economic at this stage and you know although urbanization probably has another 10 or 15 years to run it's built everything out in advance so uh there's plenty of empty apartments there's you know oodles of ghost cities there's fabulous infrastructure everywhere um and so it's really uh you know at this point building things just to keep people's hands occupied not because it's going to advance you know the the productive output of its economy um and and you know china's uh, authorities beijing uh have recognized this in fact they've been talking about it for nearly 10 years and they let it overshoot but they have in the last few years gotten quite serious about trying to reform the economy away from this construction uh, era that has dominated growth um, now the, the core of this was of course the Chinese property boom uh, property construction boom uh, and it has gone bust in the most spectacular fashion possible i've provided for you here the uh, rolling annual of china property starts which is just spectacularly down um for some i can't even fathom 60 percent something like that and still falling uh and there's nothing to suggest that that this is going to turn around it may not even be able to be turned around it probably could be if Beijing really, really panicked and threw everything it's got at it. But every day that goes past it becomes more difficult to reverse uh, because and, you know a number of factors. These the developers that were part of the boom are no longer trusted in terms of delivering uh, because they failed so often. Um, uh, you know, uh, Beijing doesn't look like it's keen for it to happen. But if it did, and if it did reverse, nobody would trust that, that reversal would last very long. Prices are falling, and so there are lots of people underwater, and and you know, kind of, we're seeing balance sheet deleveraging. Uh, you know, it really is like a, a pretty classic um, housing construction boom or bubble and bust that's underway now, and we're into things like you know liquidity traps and pushing on a string, and these kind of. Uh, you know, kind of Keynesian phrases that capture the fact that a private sector has had enough uh, of investing into this thing and has simply gone off it for good. Uh, so, you know, this this is, was the key driver of, of um, steel consumption in China and um, and the key driver of the enormous iron ore and coking coal, coal booms and build-outs that we saw over the last 20 years. So, uh, as it all reverses, we expect you know pretty pretty serious adjustments in those commodities um, in their prices. Uh, you know, like, you know, at its peak, Chinese property construction, you know, is probably forty to forty-five percent of total Chinese steel consumption. Uh, you know, it's down sixty percent in in starts terms now, but is being you know offset at this point by some infrastructure and and lifted completions of a, of a lot of property in inman- half finished property inventory and other factors but you know fundamentally as this washes through we're just going to see a lot less demand for steel from this sector and probably infrastructure as well because the two are linked uh via local government uh local governments that did make a lot of money from property especially land sales to developers and they recycled that money as infrastructure, so that you know is going to diminish as well uh and so um you know the end result uh over years is is just a lot less demand for thermal coal and and iron ore and you know we, we see these these commodities adjusting to historical average prices of um, uh, thermal cars sorry um coke and coal at, at you know somewhere under a 100 bucks or just under a nine or you know around 50 60 dollars with probably overshoots to the downside at times so so this um uh process you know means that australia's terms of trade price of its major commodities uh falls relative to our imports uh, and you know it's like a big pay cut for the economy um and typically that you know as an input is very bearish for your currency as well uh so those are the two major you know kind of legs of of the australian dollars value both of which are looking pretty shaky right now um uh, and when i say right now i guess i'm talking the next six to 12 months um so so that that sort of brings us to you know where we are in the business cycle. Um,
0: hey, Dave. And- we're just we're just going to go to a quick uh, quick sales message. Yep. Yeah. We'll be back with the investment insights very shortly. Nucleus Wealth is an active and passive investment manager. If you like what you're hearing and want some help with the investing, we can do it for you via our active portfolios. Our tactical and core portfolios use the insights shared in this podcast to construct and manage your investment. We blend tactical portfolios to offer our combinations of international shares, Australian shares, government bonds, and cash. We vary the asset allocation with the goal of protecting your capital in times of market uncertainty. We also have active international and Australian share portfolios. These are chosen using our quality and value investment philosophy. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show. Back on
1: so yes uh f- uh you know sort of step three you know our assessment of where the aod is heading you know in the relative short term uh is you know an assessment of where we are in the business cycle uh, excuse that this is my marvelous children and uh you know we, we see ourselves as you know a very late cycle and you know even with a, a foot you know it, it into a sort of end of cycle shock period um we've seen the fed break various things uh whether they've broken enough things yet is is still uh, an open question i've provided a chart here on us bank credit uh which as you can see is like in free fall and you know year-on-year year growth is is the lowest it's ever been in the modern era outside of the gfc and is still falling so this is one potential candidate for something that the Fed is going to break. That will cause, you know, the the US economy to finally succumb to recession. Uh, but it could be anything else. It could be business credit. could be the consumer might have enough. The AI bubble may collapse on itself or the Fed burst it. Uh, earnings, earnings forecasts have rolled over and started to go down again. Uh, and, you know, we think that, that the combination of slowing Economic growth with slowing inflation is going to be really pretty toxic for earnings. Um, even if we don't get a severe recession, it's enough to really sort of beat up margins, which expanded so much during during the last few years. Um, and so that might be enough. You know, we've got if we look at the global situation, Europe is basically in recession and is going down. Uh, you know, it's going down further, faster. Um, China is barely growing at all It's certainly going to reach its growth targets um, But largely on base effects uh, And China and Europe tend to go together um, There isn't much scope for a big China stimulus We're just not seeing that Mooted from authorities uh, Of course it could come But it's at the base cases it won't It'll be more incremental stuff And so, you know, you, you we still have yet to play out Um, the end of this cycle, which, you know, in effect, you know, will have been brought about by central banks' fighting inflation and a pretty classic denouement for a business cycle. Uh, And um, generally what we get with one of those things is a safe haven trade. You know, when equities start to realise that earnings are going to fall and come off, uh, you know, and we've still got this circumstance in which but global global growth isn't likely to be any better than the U.S. and probably worse. Uh, you know, you you know, we may well see a safe haven trade into the U.S. dollar. So this is another short term impulse uh, for a lower Australian dollar. I would think, you know, if this transpires and U.S. growth finally rolls over and delivers a, you know, another blow to the European and Chinese uh, economies. Um, then commodities have another leg lower too. So, you know, all of this is pretty bearish AUD. Um, so so that...
0: Uh, Dave, we've, we've got a question here. Uh, yeah. So we've got a question from Cam. He's asking, uh, if Australia goes into recession and the US doesn't, will the Aussie dollar get slammed? Ah, uh, yes.
1: That's an easy one.
0: <laughs> Short answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think the thing is, uh, yes, that's absolutely right. Um, But, you know, maybe the best way to answer that question is to actually go on and look at what we think of the next cycle because the US-Australia comparison, if you think it's bad now, it looks like it's going to get a lot worse um, as we go forward. So uh, did you want to throw up another
0: message, Sam, or are we? We'll be back again shortly. If you like what you're hearing, but want a low-cost passive option, Nucleus Wealth is the first to offer passive direct indexing in Australia. The first generation of passive investing was index funds. The next gen was ETFs. Now direct indexing is here with significantly more customization and control. The benefit of direct indexing is you can add or subtract investment themes, and we have almost 100 different options to choose from. For example, you could buy an international share direct index portfolio that excludes fossil fuels and arms manufacturers and has a tilt towards cybersecurity and cloud computing. Alternatively, you could buy a portfolio with no screens and an extra exposure to nuclear power and defense contractors. You can find out more at nucleuswealth.com. Now back to the show.
1: And so looking forward now in our final final assessment looking i guess beyond these short-term influences but sort of projecting ourselves into the next business cycle uh, and the long-term prospects for the australian dollar um it's pretty gloomy uh you know like what's clearly shaping up as a bit of a revolution for the next business cycle is artificial intelligence uh which is led by the us um with a you know distinct and clear uh leadership so uh you know for starters um that's you know likely to result in a stronger productivity surge in the us than australia as well as you know much more much a greater number of winners uh, you know directly from the ai boom um and relative to australia you know we have virtually none of these companies um moreover you know our growth model right now and for the last few years has been just completely di- addicted to immigration um, uh, and as we call it quantitative peopling uh, which is very disproductive uh, because it, you know it doesn't encourage it encourages low wages um, over automation uh, which is quite disproductive, and then capital shallowing as well that is you've got more people crush loading all of your, your fixed capital uh, and that you know that's really productivity negative as well uh, and so it basically slows you down and chokes your economy um, uh, and relative to a, a sort of uh, you know um, artificially intelligence juiced u.s com- economy boom it's gonna look pretty pretty bloody boring down here um by comparison you know and there are other features of the forthcoming cycle that are pretty gloomy as well you know at the moment the us is enjoying a, a, a an outrageous reshoring boom uh as you know china de-risking kicks into gear. there's, there's massive investment in manufacturing capacity
2: um not well, well they have an industrial policy don't they they have That's an industrial a, policy sounds so, like a, a, novel, a, a novel invention
1: lots of reshoring in tech but also in in You know the the petrochemical sectors you know because they've got really cheap energy in the u.s gas there is like two bucks a gigajoule um uh and so you know for them yes they've got higher labor costs still than some emerging than lots of emerging markets but if you automate um you you know that's not such a problem um and so you know for the us this reassuring reassuring thing is real whereas in australia it's not real at all
2: Best yeah. to it. Us. looks <laughs> like our best hope is other people, though, isn't it, Dave? The well, that's right. We're,
1: we're still hollowing ourselves out because
2: yeah, but, but we've got um. It's sort of in a way, you say Australia's industrial policy is just de- is determined from from what other countries are doing. So for the last ten, twenty years, it was determined by whatever China was doing that that's what we were, you know, we're supplying. And and now, your you know, best hope for some of these commodity. Um, uh processing, actually upskilling some of that stuff is is that um we, we fall into the bucket of US friends and so they'll, they'll actually help support us in terms of tax giving us tax credits and things like that if you if you're doing some of that here. Yeah. And then potentially, you know, Indonesia is looking to try and smell um Trying to leverage its nickel, and so it's trying to convince us to, to to do something to have an industrial policy with its with our lithium. Like just over the last couple of days. Yes, so and it, sort of and
1: like it could uh, be similar with China and steel, like green. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we're just,
2: we're just here hoping somebody else will come well, up with a good industrial policy that yes, happens but, to the blues.
1: But, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know the 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 greening uh, impulse, if you know, like is something promising for australia but our energy costs are so outrageous mm. despite having some of the cheapest energy in the world because we mismanage it so fantastically that, that it's a huge deterrent for any kind of commodity processing um, that uh, the exception is probably green in areas of greening so um or decarbonisation so there's some hope there but at this point there's just nothing um, You know, productivity is terrible. We don't have tech. Um, And so, you know, the competitiveness issue is huge Um, unless you you maybe put a massive sort of carbon price overlay on it. You might have some chance. So anyway, we're likely going to miss out on that boom, Um, at least until there's some sort of conflict with China, at which point we might panic and invest in a few things. Um, Then we have, you know, like, what we think it will be a Chinese commodity super deflation, not, not a super cycle, but a super deflation where iron ore and coking and coal and just basically a fall forever um, because this, this Chinese um, fixed asset um, catch-up growth is over. Um, now, there'll be much stronger growth in ESG commodities which is again what we're talking about in terms of the green commodities and things but our exposure there is just just too small it's nothing like what it is in terms of earners of of our traditional bulk commodities so you know you you can get some offset there but nowhere near enough and so again it's very deflationary very bad for national income and it could just run on and on as it did after the japanese boom of the 1980s where it for 10 years iron ore fell all the way down to i can't remember 12 bucks or something so um you know we've got that kind of prospect in our in our key commodities and that sets you up for you know kind of what we went through you know as a dry run if you like from 2012 to 2020 where you know uh, very high commodity prices busted as china you know toyed with ending this growth model uh before you know letting it take off again um and then we also you know it was partly the result of the supply side boom and suddenly there was just too much of every bulk commodity and prices crashed and so we went through this process um through that period we know what it looks like it's just smashed nominal growth um no wage growth um, no income growth uh very deflationary um and this time we'll have you know some ai job losses thrown into the mix as well so you know it's a pretty difficult kind of um, um environment likely to result in sticky unemployment um constrained budgets both state and federal you know as as uh, corporate profits dry up from the commodity sector um uh, and you know maybe even some rolling energy shocks because we still haven't fixed any of those issues so um it's really a circumstance of very of, uh, you know we call this the lost decade when we went through it last time it's really a rerun of that um it's an internal paralysis that you know sh- will probably i think there's, the chances are it will be reflected in an external adjustment because you you know you just be growing so slowly that uh, you know you you don't attract much investment flow and uh, your interest rates tend to fall below everybody else's uh, and and so you end up with a much lower currency as well and that so so that's really the scenario in which you might get to to a 40 cent Australian dollar or Australian dollar in the 40s uh, it's one in which you have the, the US economy you know booming uh, a la sort of late 90s with uh you know an artificial intelligence rollout that boosts productivity across the economy lifts its you know growth um, growth capacity uh, while it transpires uh lower you know sort of low-ish inflation but it, but a tighter labor market than elsewhere so higher wage inflation that it's had previously it's like a really Decent demographics. It's a really good kind of story for the US, um, which you could, you know, very easily get, um, uh, you know, forex leadership out of. Then you have China winding down to what is virtually zero growth um, over the next five to ten years as as its catch up um, um, period ends, Uh, and and Europe, you know, Europe is like a second derivative of China so you know you've got very slow growth in ems and in europe um and then you've got poor Thai australia that's attached to the latter uh doesn't have enough of the former um, and is really you know just a kind of forgotten and sorry little economy addicted to its immigration to hide its problems so you get a very very good story out of the us you get a quite gloomy story out of australia and if you get, you know, relative forex valuing those two narratives, then you get a very low Australian dollar, and that's, you know, kind of the the story behind how we might get to, to you know, to a really low valuation. Not not unlike what happened in the late nineties, um, where you know uh, Australia was suffering from, you know, the post-Japan commodities uh, price. Um, just unwind that went on and on and on Uh, and the u.s economy is growing you know for in some quarters at five and six percent uh you know through owing to massive sort of business rewiring with the rise of the internet uh and associated companies that you know that that lead the tech sector as well uh and so you, you know you could rerun that
0: scenario Last one, Dave. Thanks for that. Uh, so we've had a few comments come through. Uh, Cam's just saying thanks for answering his question, uh, and he's, he's saying uh, so buy unhedged US ETFs. He's guessing. Uh, had a well, couple. as well. Products. Well, of- <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um so and robert robert's also uh, put a couple of questions here robert chandra uh, he's asking what's the incentive for the australian government to increase productivity when we're so spoiled by the riches of our resources and then he further adds uh, especially if productivity will increase unemployment uh through less skilled people losing jobs and it will drain welfare, social security, and lead to less tax revenue receipts.
1: Uh, well, you, you kind of misconceived productivity. <laughs> a bit. I mean, high productivity is is typically good for employment. Um, in, in the in the net sense. Now, um, obviously, when you get automation in certain sectors, and what we're going to see with AI in, is. Is we think you know particularly service-oriented businesses with a lot of low-end people uh you know are going to be able to shed a lot of staff and automate you know their functions um now that sounds like unemployment but if that lifts the profits of the business uh it end up you know in them employing more high-tech people like more upskilled people then uh you know there's there's actually um an increase in income for both consumers and the business in net terms and then the people who lose their jobs you know will be upskilling to get similar positions in in other businesses and so productivity gains aren't in employment negative they're actually employment positive so the incentive is to, is actually-
2: in the very very short term, term they can be Oh, um, yeah, in the very short. Time. It's basically the arguments about saying, oh, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have a tractor on my farm. I'll just get everyone to do our stuff by hand and that'll be better for employment. Well, that's, that's, well, the, that,
1: that's the Australian way, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: right. <laughs>
1: but, but it's not better for, for well, it's not better for uh, living standards is the point. Yeah. You've got more people with more money if you get the tractor because yes. you've just produced more from fewer inputs uh, and so you've freed up resources to do other stuff. And if everyone's doing that, then it's all rising at once. So that's the incentive, is rising living standards. But um, the, the problem for Australia, uh, the word spoiled is, is probably the right one in the sense of milk gone off, not in terms of being having too good a time, um, you know, because the commodities sector is, is poisonous. Um, like it corrupts policy. Uh, it 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 campaigns to be undertaxed. It drives up your currency. It it charges you immense quantities, um, immense prices for your own energy, and um,
2: like it's. it's- and, and, and I was commenting just the other day on this, saying that you know that it's 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 um it's in given how little tax it pays, it's actually it's actually a little bit embarrassing in the way that you know maybe we've got politicians who have effectively been bought out by by this lobby, but it, yeah. it's a little bit sad. How little they've been bought out for, like a few million dollars oh, yeah. a year in in donations, yeah. and they're saving themselves tens and and potentially hundreds of billions oh, yeah. of dollars in tax. Yes, and, as and they well don't say, be, well, If you're going to have a corrupt government, they might as well actually be smart enough to get paid properly for it. So, and <laughs> they, they don't employ anyone. Oh, yes. No. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, they do. They they get to they get to say these massive numbers about oh we're going to have four thousand people working on this project, and then when you get into yeah. the, the fine print, it's yes for the first six twelve six or twelve months, and then we're yes. back to. That's order. right. Yeah, yeah so it's you know
1: this is why it's called the resource's curse because you know it, it comes with massive downsides um now no I'm not don't get me wrong I'm not saying it's not good to have the problem is that, you know and there are examples of people who manage it well like Norway for instance you know who does manage it well but uh, we many don't any
2: more examples of economies that manage it badly
1: there are yes most of which are emerging markets and yeah you know that's really where we belong quite frankly we have the values of an emerging market the transparency of an emerging market um, uh, and the structure of an emerging market Um, so so it's more more a case that uh resources spoil australia in the sense of poisoning it and so we end up with you know very very
0: poor policy making nice one uh, so we've had a question from uh, Matt Pettiford. Uh You may have uh, sort of touched on this, so he's asking now how does record migration moving forward play into this and uh, then goes on to say, I assume it's supportive for the Aussie dollar No, no it's not um,
1: it's the opposite uh, it it's not intrinsically negative for the Aussie dollar Um, but in the circumstances that we're facing i think it is um you know because it's deflationary for wages um disproductive um and you know in the circumstances of what we're looking at you know potentially a global productivity boom uh, and higher wages elsewhere um, yeah, especially in the u.s um then you know quantitative peopling as we call it because it's not really immigration it's a deliberate policy to to grow the economy in a certain way that, that benefits vested interests and hides uh the failure to reform by, of by government um it's not it's not constructive and you know you see a lots of inequities that come out of it, like right? like we're seeing at the moment where you know youth is is uh completely uh, marginalized from housing uh you see high house prices which which you know at the margin may result in in high in a high currency but but not in the circumstances of deflation that we're talking about um and so no no it's quite currency negative in these circumstances um not not good it's not it's just not good for living standards at all especially in this kind of environment i mean traditionally um australian policymakers in this kind of environment would cut immigration they always have until we went through this circumstance in 2012-13 when Coalition government of the day, instead of cutting immigration to protect um, the labour market um, during the mining shock, they ramped it up, which was an um, unprecedented experiment and did exactly what we expected it would do, which is um, triggered a you know a property boom and it emitted deflationary bust, um, ended wage growth, uh, you know kept kept very sticky high unemployment. And, and it was all much worse than it
2: needed to be. Um, it, if you, it's stats padding, though, in the end, isn't it? It's so basically saying, I'm going to it make is. things worse for individuals, but but the overall economy will look like it's better, and so you padded your stats. That's, that's and, right. And, um, yeah, yeah,
1: stats padding. Whereas, whereas, you know, traditionally policymakers would look at per capita measures of income and GDP, you know, to gauge living standards, and so they would cut immigration, which would lift those per capita standards but now they do the opposite. And so per capita stands fall, while it looks like the pie's growing, but everybody's slice of it is actually getting smaller. So it's quite sneaky.
0: Okay, uh, so we've got a couple of other questions, but we'll just uh, put out a final call for any other questions that come in uh, before we get into the next section. So now we're going to have our question of the week. This is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments section over the coming days. So, the question for this week is where to for the Aussie dollar? So, feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. So, uh, uh, over back to you guys for the investment implications.
1: Yeah, so I expect the Australian dollar to basically go through a bit of a roller coaster ride over the next 12 months. Um, Initially, you know, s- s- while we we wend our way through this end of cycle stuff, it'll be going down. Uh, once that sort of starts to, to bottom out, um, and and, the, and markets get the sniff that global growth is going to lift, and the, the US dollar will fall, and the Australian dollar will rocket back up. Um, I don't know what those ranges will be, but you know, somewhere, somewhere, I don't expect it to be outside of where we've been over the last few years. Um, But then I would expect a long grind of the Australian dollar back down again if these narratives that we've discussed hold. And so I'd be looking at this as basically uh, a sell the rips strategy in the Australian dollar over the next, uh, you know, few years. And, uh, you know, whenever it's up, I'd I'd look to, you know, buy offshore assets um, and, and, uh, yeah, I guess take profits when it's down. For now, it's buy bonds, um, Aussie bonds. Um, Stocks later, you know, once we get a a decent correction, um, and when that comes around, I'd be avoiding China-exposed miners. You could look at, you know, more of the ESG mining if you're interested in getting into the sector. Um, I think the banks in Australia will be okay um, because, you know, in this sort of disinflationary environment, you know we're likely to see rate cuts and rising property prices and so I think they'll be all right and immigration will be you know they'll keep the the, the foot on that to to keep housing afloat as well um, uh, non-mining offshore owners on the ASX um, if you prefer to invest here than overseas uh, and everywhere including Australia um, you know i would be looking to deploy uh, looking for for those who are you know, at the front end of the curve, on on quality quality services firms that have, you know, large headcount um, in low end employees that can can you know really maximise AI to boost margins. So that's that's
0: how I would use the Aussie dollar over the next few years. Nice one. Uh, so we have a question from Sammy J. Uh, He's asking, uh, do you think the current account surpluses will help prop up the Aussie dollar for the next couple of years? Uh, Yeah, they are now,
1: um, but uh, they're largely driven by the very high prices of our bulk commodities, um, uh, some of which have already completely crashed. And so, you know, there are moving averages that determine long-term contracts, six- and 12-month contracts in the coal market, for instance. And so they're going to catch down um, over the next 12 months and keep falling. So um, I would expect the Australian surplus to disappear over the next few years. But certainly while we have it, it is supportive, yes.
0: Okay, Uh, great. And uh, a question from Glenn Carhill uh, asking, uh, can the RBA intervene and if it can, how much ammunition does it have? and also how can we tell if the rba is intervening i
1: wouldn't worry if it does i mean the market will determine it it's not going to intervene in any way that is material it can lean against stuff it has at times but it's not really worried about the currency for the most part um, if these circumstances evolve it'll we'll be happy to have a lower currency uh, and i you know if it is intervening it would be marginal and Not worth worrying about
0: okay uh and we have a question from richard davos i just want to give a special shout out to richard he is very active across all our platforms Uh, so thanks for the engagement Uh, he's asking uh, how will the aussie banks especially the smaller ones handle the uh, the likely turmoil ahead and do you think any will go under
1: um. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, there's a lot of uh, early, early stage distress in in RMBS at the moment. Um, you know, coming out of the pretty much out of the fixed rate mortgage reset, rising rates. It looks like the the 2021, 2022
2: vintage. Yeah, sorry, just, just to define as well, the, the RMBS is the residential mortgage backed securities, which is basically a yep. bank places alone, loan or, or, or a finance company places a loan and then bundles them all up and then sells them to to, yeah. to, to outside investors mortgage bonds so the
1: small banks use that more than the large um, and the non-banks especially so um the 2021 and 2022 vintage mortgages look look like they're going to have some pretty nasty default rates uh and so it's I, I mean, for the, for us to actually see non-banks and banks to go under, you you need to see probably a funding crisis as well, which is not my base case at this point. But it thinks did start to get a little bit pear-shaped when SVP went under. So if if you know our end of a cycle shock coming out of the US turns out to be small US banks or similar and they go through another round of distress because they're still absolutely pumping fed emergency facilities uh then then it's possible yes um i wouldn't i don't see any uh, like I, we're not in the banks big banks like we think that it's going to be bad enough they'll need provisions earnings will suffer and there might be a little bit of pressure at the margin on funding costs but that will be exaggerated in smaller banks and non-banks so it's possible we would lose a few non max yes. Um, I don't. I don't see a financial crisis or anything though. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Just, just a few casualties um, from from the end of cycle bust. Um, you know, I, not even an SNL crisis. I wouldn't think, but but maybe something. Uh, you know, smaller version thereof.
2: And part of that's that you know people are uh, central banks are pretty focused on fighting the last war and the last big downturn we had. Um, yeah, they let a few things fall over, and that that sort of caused issues. And so they're they're probably uh, they're the finger closer to the trigger than what they would have otherwise had. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you you look at what happened with the SVP, I mean, the Fed was unbelievably swift and effective in bailing out the small U.S. banking sector. In fact, you, you could argue that they were so effective, and this is probably the case, that they actually blew the AI bubble. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, the regulators are very good these days at preventing contagion. Uh, and so I don't expect another big event of that nature, GFC or even SNL, but, but yeah, some casualties, yeah.
0: Okay, uh, so, yeah, lots of great engagement today, lots of great questions. Apologies if I've missed any. That pretty much wraps us up for today. So uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Damo. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing how things unfold. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So if you enjoy our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel now and make sure you don't uh, miss out on any special episodes and future content. Also, if you'd like, if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you like share it with them. We do put out a lot of other content in addition to this podcast. We have regular articles that are featured in all major Australian publications, including the AFR, the Australian, First Links, and many others. Uh, to get a list, you can subscribe to our weekly Nucleus News and Investment Insights at NucleusWealth.com. We do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comments section below or send us an email at contact at So for myself, Damien, Dave, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.